Om Agyanatamirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshuran Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So we are on the last chapter of the seventh canto and uh, we are beginning with text number uh, six, um, number seven. Um, let me just get my notes all set up. So Prabhupada, you know, begin, you know, in his chapter summary, he kind of orient, gets us oriented for this chapter. You know, that he says that the previous chapter, Narada Muni, showed the importance of the Brahmana, the scholarly person in society or the teacher. Um, and now he's, and one thing he's doing in this chapter is showing the difference between different grades of Brahmanas. Hmm. Some are householders who are attached to uh, karma, kanda, you know, food of activities and trying to better their, you know, their social conditions. And above them are Brahmins who are attracted to austerities and penances and retire from family life. They're known as vanaprastas. And then others who are into studying the Vedas. Um, and those are called brahmacharis. And still others who are interested in yoga, especially bhakti yoga and jnana yoga. And such brahmanas are often called sannyasis. Interesting. So one by one, Narada um, presents each category of those brahmanas. And in the first 16 verses, it's basically guidance for householders, vihastas. Um, and so in the text six two, we heard about offering charity. Um, in text three, about in, uh, who to, and making sure that you invite devotees when you're doing rituals. In text four, about avoiding discrepancies. Um, and in, therefore inviting one guest is better than inviting many. Um, five and six were about honoring one's guests properly by offering them prasad. And now we begin with um, seven and seven and eight talk about renouncing both violence and envy. So text seven. A person fully aware of religious principles should never offer anything like meat, eggs, or fish in the Shraddha ceremony. And even if one is a chatriya, he himself should not eat such things. When suitable food prepared with ghee is offered to saintly persons, the function is pleasing to the forefathers and the Supreme Lord, who are never pleased when, when animals are killed in the name of sacrifice. So um, ghee, I think we all know, is clarified butter. <clears throat> and, you know, it's a milk product, so it's special in that sense. But the, it's, it's the, uh, also the, it's something that's used in sacrifices. It's, 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 it's directly related to religious life in that sense. And therefore mentioned here. And then text eight, persons who want to advance in superior religion are advised to give up all envy of other living entities, whether in relationship to body, words, or mind. There is no religion superior to this. So in these two uh, verses, 
Narodamuni is, is recommending the spiritual practice of respecting all living beings, you know, no matter what body they are inhabiting. And to do that requires giving up envy. Mm -hmm. And so there's no, it says no religion superior to this. That, that's mentioned also in the, uh, excuse me, um, Mahabharata, that the, high, that the highest religion is ahimsa, or nonviolence. Uh, we can continue unless you have any questions or comments on it. So then in 9 and 10, we hear about the renunciation of ritualistic ceremonies. Okay. So 9, because of an awakening of spiritual knowledge, those who are intelligent in regard to sacrifice, who are actually aware of religious principles, and who are freed from material desires, control the self in the fire of spiritual knowledge or knowledge of the absolute truth, they may give up the process of ritualistic ceremony. So the idea being that rituals are, um, in this sense, usually considered like karmakandic, fruit of activities, and someone who is in knowledge no longer hankers after fruit of activities because they know that there's something higher, you know, than just getting a fruit of activity, meaning doing something to please God or the demigods to get material benefits. And someone in knowledge who knows that they are not this body, you know, you know, Prabhupada writes that in the purport, people are generally very much interested in karma, kind of ritualistic ceremonies for elevation to the higher planetary systems. But when one is awakened, when one awakens his spiritual knowledge, he becomes uninterested in such elevation and gain and engages it fully in jnana yagna to find the objective in life. So <laughs> when you think about it, things are pretty bad by from the Vedic point of view these days, because Karmakandu would be seen as wow, pretty realized, because if they're going to the heavenly planets, they realize that they are they are the soul, not the body. And most people aren't really thinking about going to the heavenly planets, right? They have, um, they're trying to make heavenly planets here, or at least, you know, get a Tesla and a house in Potomac or something like that. Enjoy. <laughs> so it's not, uh, so Prabhupada's talking about a time that, yeah, um, not exactly what most people have in mind. Now, text 10, upon seeing the person engaged in performing the sacrifice, Animal, now this is very interesting. Animals meant to be sacrificed are extremely afraid. That, that, sure, we understand that. Thinking this merciless performer of sacrifices, being ignorant of the purpose of sacrifice and being most satisfied by killing others, will surely kill us. And Prabhupada writes that animal sacrifice in the name of religion is currently practiced all over the world in every established religion. Um, and he goes into Jesus's reaction to uh, to such things. Uh, I guess some Seventh Day Adventists are um, vegetarian at large. You know, hard much. I mean, I, I think it's part of. It's not like I, I from what I understand, yeah. it's not oh. essential. What? It's all. It's all. All. Okay. It's all. Well, I know congregations. Uh, I met a woman in college, and she was. She went, she was, her whole family was like that. And their whole uh, congregation was vegetarian. I don't know about other uh, instances of the church. Interesting. 
they had all these weird uh, meat substitutes like hot dogs that were made from vegetable. Yeah, yeah. So they wanted to kind of live like a normal life, but not eat any animals. Right, right, right. Yeah, seven state. They say that they have a plant-based diet. Um, yeah. However, some followers choose to incorporate eggs, uh, dairy products. Like we have dairy products. Yeah. So it may not be a fish. It says here, clean meats. They say. Um, so I guess it depends. But uh, even Buddhism, you know, in parts of. Uh, I think I told you already about my friend who had. Uh, yeah, a tofu pups, Henry writes. Yeah. Um, my friend who had lunch with Dalai Lama one time, and um, they were at a, uh, at, a, at a conference. And my friend, who's a devotee, he runs the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. He, you know, he was, he's very careful, of course. So he ordered salad and just um, olive oil dressing. And Dalai Lama, it was like a big table, he said, but he was sitting, and this is not to criticize the Dalai Lama, but he was, um, he ordered chicken or something like that. When he saw what um, the devotee offered, you know, as he was eating, it's kind of like this, you know, so he didn't have to look straight at Shonika, the devotee. Who, uh, yeah, so it's not all Buddhists, although um, when I was in China, if if, if, if um, I was really hungry, you try to find a uh, near a Buddhist temple, there would often be these amazing uh totally vegetarian um buffets like a hundred different preparations huge it's like a it's like a stadium and and all kinds of you know things but not all buddhists so yeah i don't know if there's too many religions that are fully vegetarian you know any anyone know any others you know i heard the dalai lama interviewed one time and um he said that he would prefer not to be eating chicken, but he said that his people were very poor and they didn't have a wide variety of things to eat. So therefore he, it was okay for them to eat chicken. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't, like I said, I didn't want to criticize them, but uh, uh, that was an experience that one of our devotees had. Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, whereas devotees, you know, you know, even if you go to a, a vegan restaurant, then you say, well, do you have anything without onions and garlic? And that usually brings the menu from this size to this size. <laughs> yeah. uh, very quickly. Yeah. So devotees tend to be very careful about what they, uh, what they eat. Okay. Now, so that was uh, nine and 10 about knowledge brings you above rituals. And I think, I think we can apply that. We can apply that to um, our lives, or, or that it's good to it's it's good to know the uh, purposes behind things, right? So we won't get into it now. But for example, the different uh, articles that they offer the deities in an article, there's a there's a there's a reason behind those, or um, you know someone who's new might really want to know why do you worship Tulsi Devi you know you why do you worship a plant right or or just whatever different ritualistic kind of things that we do why do why does the devotee keep a sika in the back of their head and you know the little tuft of hair like that um it's good to know the reason behind things then one can especially in a, in a devotional um community because then one can 
do that ritual with with more faith with more faith and more purpose than just you know like in um uh fiddler on the roof where you know the the opening scene why do we do these i don't know it's a tradition <laughs> that's what he that's what Tevio says in the beginning of so we don't want to we'd rather know the the purpose behind it and then we avoid uh, something in Sanskrit niyamagraha or doing something just for the sake of doing it without really focusing on making spiritual advancement. So if you have any thoughts on that, please let me know. Because um, then we're moving on to text. So in text 11 is um, the appropriate uh, sacrifice of deity worship. Okay, so text 11. Therefore, day by day, one who is actually aware of religious principles and is not heinously envious of poor animals should happily perform daily sacrifices and those uh, for certain occasions with whatever food is available easily by the grace of God, by the grace of the Lord. Okay. Um, then from 12 to 14, we hear about how Brahmanas who are advanced, they should do their duties in worshiping the Lord while avoiding five kinds of irreligion. So this is 12, 13, and 14 discuss these five, and we'll go over those five in a little detail. So I'll read 12 to 14. Uh, there are five branches of irreligion, appropriately known as irreligion, vidharma, religious principles for which one is unfit, paradharma, pretentious religion, abhasad, Analogical religion, Upadharma, and cheating religion, Chala, 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 Dharma. One who is aware of real religious life must abandon these five as irreligious. Religious principles that obstruct one from following his own religion are called Vidharma. Religious principles introduced by others are called Paradharma, a new type of religion created by one who is falsely proud and who opposes the principles of the Vedas is called Upadharma, and interpretation by one's jugglery of words is called Chela Dharma. Okay. So, um, so Vidharma is the first one, and that refers to, you know, religious acts that are performed in the irreligious acts, sorry, that are performed in the name of religion. Mm -hmm religious principles that obstruct one from following one's own religion, probably writes or translates, uh, are called vidharma. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur actually talks about this in a book he wrote called Vaishnava Siddhanta Mala. And, and he, so he says an example of vidharma is when the, this is interesting, he considers ir irreligious, is when the jiva seeks nirvana by accepting Abhedavad. Now that that may be fancy words, but it means the idea that we are non-different from the impersonal Brahman. Uh, and then another example when the jiva seeks is is when we seek we seek material pleasures or expertise. That not only pleasure he says, but also expertise in the material realm. Now, you know, we, we, when we have a job or something, we probably want to become be considered an expert. Uh, in it, but a lot of it has to do with the motivation. So, so why are these? So we might ask, why are these? Why is that an example of Vidharma? So he he Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says that because the 
actual dharma of all of us is to love Krishna. Maybe uh, a more yeah. severe example would be something like, uh, you know, if the definition is doing something irreligious in the name of religion, maybe like the Crusades, which yes. eventually just turned into kind of like a, uh, you know, a, a religious, uh, basically they ended up just collecting religious artifacts and things down there you know the holy land and bringing them back there was this whole cottage industry amongst the elites of europe of yes collecting things you know oh, this was a piece of the crucifix upon which you know christ was was net. you get my point yeah yeah that, that would that that would be quite extreme yeah 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 and even um in in uh the late 30s and early 40s in Germany, it wasn't exactly a religion, but it was almost, it was, you know, the, the Germanic race with their, you know, um, and other people, and therefore other people weren't even really human beings. Yeah. Yes, very good. And certainly it had very nothing to do with the Dharma of loving Krishna. <laughs> But he says, so he's referring now not to the um, pleasure expertise in the material realm, but the accepting of the uh, Mayavad philosophy. And he says, he says, if the goal is love of Krishna, then the Mayavad philosophy or Abheda Bhada is total self-annihilation and remaining entrenched in matter, even if one lives externally by religious principles, because it's opposed to our actual dharma, which is loving Krishna. So that's uh, V-dharma. The next one is Paradharma. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Prabhupada writes that religious principles introduced by others are called Paradharma. Mm. Um, and another way to look at it is Paradharma is performing the duties or occupation of someone else. <coughs> Then pretentious dharma, or abbas, is something that's a dim reflection or shadow of true religion. The verse says, a pretentious religious system manufactured by one who willfully neglects the prescribed duties of his order of life is called abbas, a dim reflection. So it's usually uh, in the Vedic system, it's concocting some form of demigod worship that has not been part of your duty. And then there's Upadharma or analogical religion, meaning a practice that is not actually religious, but is made to appear as if it were. Now that sounds a lot like one of the others and, and it's hard in English sometimes to make these subtle distinctions. Prabhupada writes that a new type of religion created by one, not, not Prabhupada, it's his translation of the verse, a new type of religion created by one who is falsely proud and opposes the principles of the Vedas. So Upadharma, we could translate as heresy, right? And he, uh, it's defined as something that reflects, uh, that looks like Dharma, but it isn't. And Chaila Dharma is another form of cheating religion and refers to a false interpretation of Shastra. So, so yeah. We get the idea that we should, um, and a lot of this has to do with, you know, not having 
pure motivations when taking to a spiritual path. Any questions or comments on these five? Um, yeah, I did. I really liked um, hearing about him talk about irreligion this way because uh, in some of his interviews, which you can see on tape, he maintained uh, this is not a religion, talking about Krishna's consciousness. And I think that makes a lot of sense. If you focus on Krishna and avoid irreligion, right, then you will naturally gravitate towards the religion of totally focusing on Krishna, right? If you keep out the other bad influences, if you subscribe to some religion, then you pull in that whole system, right? Uh -huh. All the things they want you to do, right? Where he really wants you, Prabhupada, this is my opinion, just wants you to do one thing, especially at first, was just focus on Krishna. Then let everything else come in naturally. And if you avoid your religion, then you're in good shape. Mm -hmm, I nice. think. Yeah. yeah. And you say, especially at first, and then I would say, especially, especially at last, <laughs> in the sense that um, you're right at first, but also as we become advanced in bhakti, we really focus on Krishna. <laughs> but, but that I, takes I like care that. of itself. Yeah. yeah. I like that. And that's the second verse of the whole Bhagavatam says dharma projita kaitravacha nirmatsaranam satam paramon nirmatsaranam so it it um that this bhagavatam kicks out uh kaitava dharma irreligious or cheating dharmas um yeah and gives just the highest subject for the paramahamsa but um I feel like I've, I've read in a number of his writings that, you know, it seemed like, it seemed like he revered any, for the most part, religious person. Of course, yes, there's some truly deranged people that do things in deranged, yeah, do deranged things in the name of religion. But it's, you know, like, for instance, I, I think what I've gathered by that is that we're a lot closer to people of different religions than we are of people who just sort of don't do anything religious. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. And, um, you know, I, I've met a number of people in my life that, okay, there may be, um, I may read a, a, a text from another religion, I won't <laughs> name names, and kind of feel like, man, there's a lot of stuff that could easily be misinterpreted in that let's say, but then you meet people of that, that religion and they're extremely pious and clearly good people, right? And, and they'll kind of explain away that stuff. They, they use a sort of, in my opinion, mental gymnastics, but it doesn't take away from me the, the you know, what I see as someone who's really good and elevated. And, yes. Um, you know, yeah. in their own right, and because they are good, they find a way to find the good in, in the writings and this and that, and, and they turn it into something good. And I mean, you, you cannot come away from having lived in the Middle East at times, at least, you know, revere some of the things that you see mm -hmm. in order for them to do their their daily prayers at the allotted time. I mean, I've seen guys on the side of roads in torrential downpours with, with their mat out in order 
they, they just pull over on the side of a highway in order to make sure that they can they can do this. And I remember it being you know very humbling, even though you may or may not agree with everything in their religion. It cannot be denied that these people are, are certainly there's there's something that they're um, that they've got that, that you know you don't see that much in the West. Yeah, and that brings up. I think I may have mentioned this before. Uh, when Prabhupada was talking about um, philosophers, right? And, and Shama Sundarpur was saying, well, is this philosopher Krishna conscious? Is that philosopher Krishna conscious? And Prabhupada said, uh, their sincerity is their Krishna consciousness. Yeah. So we see, um, so that's, yeah, and, and that's very connected to Rupa Goswami. He, you know, he, um, he says, Anyabilashita Shunyam, Jnana Karma Anabritam, Anukuyena Krishna Anusilinam Bhaktirutmam. And this verse can apply to any religion. That because often you find religions that, um, you know what a Kitri is? Kitri Prashadam? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, know, you put some rice, you put some dal, you put some spices, you put some vegetables, you put some, yeah. some nuts. Yeah. So sometimes, uh, and many, including Vedic religions, can be a kitri. They have some karma that, you know, you pray to God for uh, material benefits. They have some gan that, uh, you know, life has been for austerities and, and an impersonal idea maybe of God. And then they have often some bhakti or a personal idea. And they're all kind of kitri, they're kind of all mixed together. And so Rupa Goswami has um, separated the ingredients, you could say, and said, karma is like this, you know, uh, praying to God or, uh, or you know, for, uh, as we read in the previous verse, for to go to higher planets or, or to get some benefit in this life. And then there's gyan or impersonal uh, understanding of God. And then there's bhakti or devotion. And... What Rupa Goswami has done so brilliantly is separate, you know, it's almost like they, they often become like a rope with three parts to it. They become all, you know, a rope to make strong, you intertwine them. But he separates them into their three categories and says, you know, this is what it means to be pure bhakti without the other two. And I found, you know, talking to sincere people of other religions, um, many more sincere than me, they really, they think that's great. Because they know, you know, uh, especially in the more personal traditions, they know really they should just be approaching God for lo loving him and not for getting things from him. Yeah. So there's times when Prabhupada was very heavy one time with a cardinal in France. Um, and Prabhupada didn't let him off the hook. And he told Yogeshwar Prabhu later, who was translating into French, that I could smell the alcohol on his breath, <laughs> yeah. And then I and then in uh, Melbourne in Australia, um, it was actually a very sweet exchange. He was talking to some um, uh, ministers, Christian ministers, and he was showing them an article about the Rathayatra in Sydney. And the uh, he handed this one minister, and the man said, "Oh, I left my reading glasses outside," and Prabhupada gave him his glasses and the man tried the money said wow perfect and Prabhupada said birds of the same feather 
So yes, he had, like you said, he had appreciation for people who were sincere in their spirit, but he didn't have much tolerance for people that he thought were cheating others in the name of religion. Actually, actually, he wasn't tolerant at all. <laughs> yes, uh, go ahead, Shakshi Prabhu. So very interesting discussion. As you said, Rupa Goswami had made all these three divisions, but like um, uh, to follow Sanatana Dharma, they should be a sect of groups of people to live in all communities. And uh, all these communities need to have their own, like Shaktriya Dharma, have their own rules and regulations to do, like, you know, worshiping Kali or whatnot. Similarly, like, you know, Sudras have their own demigods worshiping so that they can do their duties and they can eat all the meat and things like that. Um, so uh, he's splitting is correct. But like we need to have, if you see as a wholesome, only this is not sufficient, right? Is my understanding correct, Prabhu? Only what is not sufficient? Just like um, serving the Lord uh, is is correct. What what you're saying is correct. What the what the what what our teaching is correct. But like if you see wholesome, uh, like you know everybody inclusive of it, then like um, we need people for all these jobs and things like that. So oh, only who are interested in this area that like if they follow this and they can get it, right? Is, is that to understand? Of course, but, and one can be a, uh, a laborer Vaishnava, you know, we use the word Sudra, but you know, it's not so politically correct these days. One can be a business person Vaishnava. One can be a warrior Vaishnava, like, uh, Look at look at Dean Sweatshirt. He's a warrior. He works for the Navy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he's a Vaishnava. And one can be a scholar Vaishnava. So um, because that is who we are, we're eternally Krishna's servant. Right. Mm. So what you were saying is those aren't the the um, the, I forget which group you were saying worships Kali. They don't have to do that. They could uh, worship Krishna. <laughs> and then Kshatriyas don't have to eat meat. They can, um, <laughs> what did Henry put in the chat? They can eat uh, tofu pups. <laughs> right, or uh, whatever. <laughs> like that. So any, that's, that's Lord Chaitanya's Kindness that anyone can chant Hare Krishna and uh, make advancement. Is that right, Chakshi Kupalu? Yeah, yeah, that's that's my understanding. They can yes. only if they start approaching what is how to love God, and then they can able to understand these whatever we are saying. Yeah. Um, but in a wholesome, that like if if that is the if this is the only way of living, then like uh, there is uh, I'm I'm seeing. Uh, uh, I'm seeing that like the, the wholesome is missing, like means like not, not inclusive of everyone. Like if, if everybody is inclusive of it, then like this is the only dharma should be given to everyone. Right, 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 right. Well, yeah, it's natural for devotees connected to Lord Chaitanya to want to give people an opportunity to learn about Lord Chaitanya um, because of the level of mercifulness that he provides. Um but, you know, there's other, even, even in Vaishnavism, there's other sampradayas that are also bona fide sampradayas, right? So yes. 
it, you know, there's uh, worshippers in South India that are primarily focused on Lord Vishnu, right? Not necessarily Krishna per se, or Lord Narayan. And we don't go up to them and say, totally bogus, what do you mean? You know, Krishna's the man, you know? Uh, you know, we have great respect for them. If they want to enter into a philosophical discussion, we can talk about things, sure. But, um, and so we can have respect for where people are at. And we can also tell them about Lord Chaitanya and his teachings. And if they're attracted, that's great. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, that, 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 yeah right, right. But probably you, not everyone's going to become a you know follower of Lord Chaitanya by tomorrow. Yeah. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Unless you you know get to work real quickly. <laughs> I don't have strength, Prabhu. <laughs> Anything else on this? No, Prabhu. Thank you. Okay, so that was up to fourteen. Trying to do things a little more systematically here. So 15 and 16 um, is a very interesting discussion, right? Act dutifully, but be weary of uh, how much you endeavor to improve your livelihood. So let's see what it says. 15, even if a man is poor, he should not endeavor to improve his economic condition just to maintain his body and soul together or to become famous, a famous religionist. Just as the great python, although lying in one place, not endeavoring for his, its livelihood, gets the food it needs to maintain body and soul together. One who is desireless also obtains his livelihood without endeavor. And 16, one who is content and satisfied and who links his activities with the supreme personality of Godhead, residing in everyone's heart, enjoys transcendental happiness without endeavoring for his livelihood. Where is such happiness for a materialistic man who is impelled by lust and greed and who therefore wanders in all directions with the desire to accumulate wealth? <clears throat> so um, the, the point, the real point is that the real endeavor should be uh, to make, uh, increase our Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada, in that summary in the beginning of the chapter, he wrote that a poor man should not unnecessarily endeavor for economic development. One who refrains from such endeavors, but who engages in devotional service is most auspicious. And uh, Prabhupada writes that, it's very interesting. He says, first of all, he talks about this main point, right? Human life is simply meant for developing Krishna consciousness. One need not even try to earn a livelihood to maintain body and soul together. This is illustrated here by the example of the great python. I don't know if you've ever seen a python, which lies in one place, never going here or there to earn a livelihood to maintain himself, and yet is maintained by the grace of the Lord. As advised by Nardamuni, one should simply endeavor to increase his Krishna consciousness. One should not desire to do anything else, even to earn his livelihood. But then Prabhupada turns it a little bit. So why should one approach a person who is blind with wealth? Rather, one should depend on Krishna, and he will give everything. All the members of our Krishna conscious movement, whether they be grihastas or sannyasis, should try to spread the Krishna conscious movement with determination, and Krishna will supply all necessities. The process of agara, um, ajagara vritti 
the means of livelihood of a python is very much appreciated in this regards. Even though one may be very poor, he should not, he should simply try to advance in Krishna consciousness and not endeavor to earn his livelihood. Now, again, you always have to take these things in context because in a few more verses from now, Prabhupada says <laughs> that you know, basically if you can't uh, get enough food to eat, then you won't be able to focus on spiritual life. So, you know, focus here. But, you know, it comes down to, uh, I was driving the other day and I was getting a little tired. So sometimes when I do that, I'll um, turn on a uh, Christian radio station. I, and I really like this one guy, um, this one preacher, I shouldn't call him a guy. His name is Tony Evans. He's an African-American and he's a real, you know, fireball. And uh, so I was just, it was just by, you know, good fortune. I knew this verse was coming up, these two verses. And he, he starts talking about this. And, and he starts talking about how the difference between needs and wants, which we all know, right? But he was doing it. He was speaking very effectively. And at one point he says, now next one I'm going to say, you ain't going to like. You're going to want to turn off your TV set. You're going to want to walk out of church. <laughs> I thought it was a great way to prime people. I should, we should try that sometime in our classes. Uh, and he said, you know, something about, you know, some cute word about, you know, need versus greed. And that really you should be focusing, just like Prabhupada saying, you're focused on, on Jesus's desires, your service to Jesus, your relationship with him. Um, and not, on all the artificial wants that come up in the world today. And, you know, it's, um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure all of us, well, I'm not sure. Many of us have seen an advertisement or read something and, and immediately Googled that company or something like that to check it out, right? You know, the, the advertising is a, it's a huge business based often on a lot on psychology to, to increase our, what we think is, is a um, need and generally is, is a want. So we've talked about this many times before. So it's just the basic idea being that we can be introspective. We can be introspective. Uh, so I like, yes, I had another experience. So I, I think you all know I moved into the ashram recently. And um, when you go back and forth, the ashram is just like about 20, 10 yards from the temple. So there's a lot of going back and forth, going back and forth. And I, you know, I kept on, I didn't have shoes that were like slip on shoes. Right. And, and it makes, it's a lot easier than, you know, wearing like, you know, running shoes that, you know, then either you have to flatten the back, right. You know what that's like, or you have to get a shoehorn and, you know, so, so as I was driving, I was, and I was thinking about these two verses, I was driving to the shop and I was saying, now, do I really need this? I mean, I'm going to live without it, you know, no, I was going on back and forth, you know, thinking about Tony Evans and thinking about these purports. And, and then I got to the shop and uh, they had this one thing, you know, you buy one, you get the second one half price. So then, <laughs> uh, then uh, but that was at another shop that didn't have exactly the right shoe that I wanted. Anyway, I ended up going back. I got, I got the one pair of shoes, drove home. Um, but I could see how, you know, just that thing, oh, second one, 50% off. Hmm. You know, I don't, 
and I didn't like for a second. I didn't stop to think, do I really need another pair of shoes? You know. So it's 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 good to be honest with ourselves, and um, then we you know bare necessities that will have different meanings for different people, and and we we have the, and in this sense, there's practical um, considerations, but the principle of I think one of the ultimate principles is to think that material things will satisfy us, that will give us relief, that will give us shelter, that will give us a, you know, a true feeling of, uh, of happiness. That is definitely barking up the wrong tree. But a devotee um, can you know, get, go shopping, get things, and all um, and related somehow to you know their um, their need for service to create. So you know you don't need a Ferrari, but you do maybe need a conveyance to get from point A to point B. So yeah, I learned that I would be um, because one of our devotees works at a dealer's car dealership. This is a while ago. I know I'm getting into a lot of things about money, but anyway, um, and so I. He, he had given us you know, quite a good deal on a, on a leased car. So the lease was up and I was thinking of buying a new car. And my son said, you know, you're mainly driving local, just get a used car. <laughs> so in those days, now used cars cost more than new cars back to better, you know, so I spent $4,000 and bought a used Prius, um, you know, and it works fine for so many years now. So it, it, my point is just that we, being introspective, being thoughtful, and not being um, caught up in the world's um, screaming at us. You need this, you need the latest, coolest thing from 2021 for Christmas, and you need those things. And really, we don't need that much. You know, ultimately, if you have some, some food on the table, prasadam on the table, uh, you know, a shirt or kurta on your back, and a roof over your head, but that's what we, that those are what we need, right? Yeah. Any thoughts on necessities? And I do. Don't you feel like um, greed is like the fraternal twin of envy? Yeah. Like in my neighborhood, if you walk up and down the street at night, everybody has a big TV in their living room. Everybody. There's not one person that doesn't have it. If you didn't have it, you would say, wow, you know. Poor guy. Not just because you're greedy for televisions, but everybody else has one. Isn't that a kind of envy? They're very yeah. closely linked, don't you think? Keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Agarwals, keeping up with the Patels. It, 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 wherever you are in the world, there's some last name that, yeah. And it, and it, did you have more to say about that, Andy? No, I just agree. Yeah. And it, like if your it, neighbor in the hut has a two yaks and you only have one, you say, I really should have two yaks, you know, like everybody else, you know. Well, it's that thing about comparison. And I know G Dean and I have talked about this also uh, previously. It's this whole thing about, well, you know, everyone else has that, 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 that. Everyone else, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, goes on vacation to cool places, has a 60-inch television, has a uh, Lexus, ha you know, kids going to uh, Ivy League school, you know, you name it. And comparison is um, is very much connected with envy and 
and or that we get our self-worth from what other people think of us. How about that? It was not introspective. Like you didn't, maybe you could have looked into yourself and see what you're doing and then avoided it. Yeah. Yeah. If you could. Yeah. Yeah. So invest. And that's really not a good, a nice way to live a life to always be that one's, um, yeah, so I like that self-worth is based on what other people think, because then you're slaves to their, their whimsical minds. We have enough problems with our own whimsical mind. Right. Um, and ultimately, our self worth should be based on whether, you know, devotees and Krishna are pleased with us by sincere bhakti. Yeah. Comparison is uh, it's a tricky thing. Other thoughts on this? I always have that contemplation going on. Everything, like as you said, like going to buying the shoe example, um, you know, buying a car or like, you know, choosing a house what not important things. Uh, mm-hmm. I always have that doubt, like greed, is it I'm greedy here or is it my need or I like it? Um, so it's a, it's a big, big challenge, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that bhakti yoga is so powerful that we can have material possessions and use them in, and use them in Krishna's service. Other forms of yoga are basically like, you know, go to the forest, <laughs> or forget it, or be a sannyasi or forget it. So this is the power of bhakti that one can be married, one can have kids, one can have a house, um, but one has to be in the right consciousness. But if we're into if, but if we think that now I'm going to be happy because I've acquired this material thing, that is setting ourselves up for disappointment. I've been, I've been sitting here trying to remember the. Um, I don't always like you know, agree with everything he says, but on this particular topic, uh, you know, this guy, Sadhguru, who has all sorts of stuff on, on YouTube, there's one he did where he really, I just think he kind of nails it on this, this whole material world, and, you know, he really, darn it, I, I'm going to try to find it, maybe for next class, but the way he says it is like, we're, we're all running around every day trying to acquire more stuff, ultimately so that we are able to place ourselves on a pedestal above everyone else through the use of material things and he says how else can we explain the world as how else can that be anything other than a complete sickness like this need to sort of elevate yourself above (laughs) yeah other people through and it's a good example by the way um because Sadhguru doesn't, um, let's just put it that he's not Krishna conscious. Right. But, yeah. but the, the paths uh, run parallel on, on a certain, to a certain extent before they go in different directions. And, and the parallel is Gan or like, you know, the, the chapter verses thir- uh, 11 to 30 of the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, the, you know, that we're not our body. And, and, and you know, so... It's like that time when I think I told you the story and Prabhupada was in Japan and he gave a talk and then there was a uh, impersonalist Swami who was speaking in Hindi. The devotees didn't know what he was saying, but Prabhupada knew. And for the first 20 minutes, Prabhupada's just, you know, rocking back and forth, chanting quietly and listening. And, but after 20 minutes, he says, stop that man to the devotees. 
Because the first 20 minutes, he says, was just, you know, we're not this body. We're not, this world is not meant for our enjoyment. You know, we should not, um, you know, like Sadhguru. But then he got into the whole, you know, Krishna doesn't really exist and all that sort of stuff. And then Prabhupada said, stop. <laughs> but it's, but, but there are parallels um, um, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a struggle and it's, um, yeah. And if you think it's hard for us, the world has made it almost impossible for teenagers growing up and with Instagram and everything. And um, of course they don't use Facebook. That's for people over 30, but uh, you know, um, uh, TikTok and Snapchat and all those things. Um, it's, it's become such a comparison culture, you know, where you take pictures of the food you eat and you're almost like, you know, making other people envious of you. Yeah. And then there's also, uh, one devotee here, I guess they wrote me directly, so they don't want their name mentioned, but, um, there's also extended sense gratification. Okay. Maybe it's not so much about me, but my relatives, my friends, uh, I want you know, um, or my country, you know, there's all these different Ultimately, what it comes down to existentially is our identity, right? And, and, you know, comparison means that we're not really identifying ourselves fully as Krishna's eternal servant and happy with what Krishna provides us. If he, if he makes us a billionaire, okay. If he makes us a pauper, okay. You know, being dependent upon him. Okay. So. That was uh, now from 17, well, all the way from 17 to 35, which we probably won't get to 35 today. Um, there, there are instructions for married people uh, and others uh, who want to make advancement. Now, 17 and 18 talk about how important it is to be self-satisfied. So 17. For a person who has suitable shoes on his feet, there is no danger, even when he walks on pebbles and thorns. For him, everything is auspicious. Similarly, for one who is always satisfied, there is no distress. Indeed, he feels happiness everywhere. My dear king, a self-satisfied person can be happy even with only drinking water. However, one who is driven by the senses, especially by the tongue and genitals, must accept the position of a household to satisfy his senses. <laughs> so, you know, one way to think about it is, you know, the different um, things that we use to dress our body, they can't satisfy us any more than like, you know, putting a new paint job on a car feeds the car's driver. <laughs> right? It's kind of like that, you know. Uh, if we really want to be satisfied, we have to satisfy the soul and experience Krishna's presence in our lives. And Prabhupada writes about that in 17. He says, a real Brahmin is always satisfied. Even if he has nothing to eat, he can drink a little water and be satisfied. This is only a matter of practice. Unfortunately, however, no one is educated to be, to be satisfied in self-realization. So I don't know about just drinking water. That's, that's a little tough for me. But I think probably many of us experience this when we do cut down one way or another. Um, it's a little tough at first, and then you get used to it. 
right? So I've been trying to, I've had the experience of uh, um, not really performing huge austerities about around eating, but I wanted to, you know, lose some pounds. So I, and I have in the past few months, and it's just been just cutting down on the quant quantity and being a little selective about the type of prasadam. And at first it was like, oh man, I'm hungry. And now it's not so much like that at all. It's just like, okay. You know, so the, um, that's why it does really take some introspection and whether it's whatever it is in our life to, to just see, you know, do I really need these things? Hmm. And we'd be surprised at how we can uh, do without, you know, um, just like during Kartik, I, I think I told you I went on a fast for news. I didn't listen to any news for a month. And it wasn't like, that was actually pretty cool. You know, I didn't know. I, I got this one email per day from New York Times that gives a list of the just that, you know, and I just would read that. And, you know, if World War III started, I'd know that. But my point is just being that we can look at things and, you know, do I need that 20th pair of shoes or that, you know, you know, all the things like that. Uh, we can look at things in our life. And, and my, but my point is it's after we, after a little practice, as Prabhupada is saying here, it becomes easier. The initial thing is a little shocking, but then it becomes like, oh yeah, gosh, I really didn't need that, did I? Any, any exper experiences, thoughts on that? Well, just like um, shifting over to being a, vegetarian was surprisingly easy but of course it's, it's made easy when you you know uh canary's family they've been doing it for so long so it's like you almost don't miss it because they know how to yeah. cook really good food anyway but um yeah. i've been kind of surprised later on you know as this topic would come up there's a lot of people that would try to do it and it's almost like they would have a um like a health reaction to it and end up uh, going back to, you know, their previous diet. I think maybe because um, we eat so many lentils and whatnot, we, we still get the protein. Or, I don't know what it was, but yeah. Well, yeah. And, and often that happens when we, um, we, we don't, we don't survive that initial hump where it's mm -hmm. tough. You know, did you have to like do boot camp or something when you were in the Navy? When you oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's some good examples of that. I mean, uh, in boot camp, the one thing I'll say that I really remember about it is, uh, you know, I was definitely someone college and working all the time. I mean, I was a workaholic even before that. And, you know, if it became dependent on coffee to the extent where, if, you know, you didn't have it or I didn't have it in the morning. Like, I mean, that was just the first thing on my mind when I woke up, you know, nothing started until I had that coffee and you get the boot camp, you know, and you just got these guys screaming at you 24 seven. And I remember sort of being like probably two thirds through it and, and thinking like, wow, I didn't, I haven't even realized that I haven't had a cup of coffee in six weeks, you know what I mean? But that's of course a whole other can of worms boot camp. Yeah, well, right, right. But anyway, I think people had experiences like this sometimes. And, and performing some austerities. Uh, another simple example I've seen many devotees say is 
you know, they tried doing near gel akadasi every akadasi where you don't eat or drink even water, right, for that day. And they said the first two times was just torture. But then the body, their body got used to it and it became, it became easier. So, so we, can, we can be more austere than we think. That's the point. And we do pamper ourselves quite a bit in, out in the West. Yeah. Shushil Prabhu, did you want to say something? Prabhuji. Hi, Krishna Prabhuji. I just opened my uh, camera. Ah, very good. Very good. Are you still in Dallas? Yeah, I'm in Dallas. Last week I didn't join. I went to Radha Madhav Dham in Austin. It's a very beautiful, beautiful temple. Prabhuji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Very good. Very good. Yeah, we didn't have a class last week, so you didn't miss it. Yeah, class. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so then let's carry on. Um, that was 17 and 18. I mean, it's like, it, it, it reminds us of Prabhupada. Uh, he said that his godbrother was uh, one of the first ones, I think, to go to England. And he, he approached a, uh, a well-placed, um, or, or a well-placed British gentleman said to him, can you make me a Brahmana? And Prabhupada's godbrother said, yes, uh, you just need no illicit sex, no meat eating, no gambling, no intoxication. And the man said, impossible. <laughs> and somehow that really stuck in Prabhupada's mind, you know, that, 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 that exchange. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, so now we, we're talking about greed and uh, uh, Andy had brought this up before. And greed as a great obstacle to self-satisfaction. So this is three verses, 19, 20, and 21. So let's read them together. Um, 19, because of greed for the sake of the senses, the spiritual strength, education, austerity, and reputation of a devotee or brahmana who is not self-satisfied dwindle, and his knowledge gradually vanishes. The strong bodily desires and needs of a person disturbed by hunger and thirst are certainly satisfied when he eats. Similarly, if one becomes very angry, that anger is satisfied by chastisement and its reaction. But as for greed, even if one, even if a greedy person has conquered all the directions of the world or has enjoyed everything in the world, still he, is, he will not be satisfied. O King Yiddish, there are many persons with varied experience, many legal advisors, many learned scholars, and many persons eligible to become presidents of learned assemblies fall down into hellish life because of not being satisfied with their position or their position in life. So greed really can like burn like fire. And in, in verse, in the 20th purport, uh, Prabhupada, he, he condemns greed and also talks about the, the, beautiful, the beauty of spiritual greed, right? Where he says in, in the Gita, it is said that lust, anger, and greed are the causes of the conditioned soul's bondage in this material world. When strong, lusty desires for sense gratification are unfulfilled, one becomes angry. This anger can be satisfied when one chastises his enemy, but when there, uh, but when there is an increase of greed, loba, which is the greatest enemy caused by Rajaguna, mode of passion, how can one advance in Krishna consciousness? If one is very greedy to enhance his Krishna consciousness, this is a great boon. Tatra loyam eka, uh, ekalam mulam. 
this is the best path available. And in um, in 21, he talks about uh, how you can, you know, you can spiritualize it by, you know, um, on one hand, devotees are warned not to build too many temples and uh, not to endeavor so much for that. Then Prabhupada says that, you know, the great acharyas have built large temples. Um, so it's not bad, but it provided uh, proper care is taken for the propagation of Krishna consciousness. Mm. And even if such endeavors are considered greedy, the greed is to satisfy Krishna, and therefore these are spiritual activities. But greed, greed is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a challenge because, um, like, like lust, it's very hard to uh, satisfy. You don't just, you know, uh, and and we see that, you know, the, the clear example, of course, is um, some very wealthy people who just keep on. You know they have plenty <laughs> and you know they don't you know of course for some of them they make a lot more money because they want to be philanthropic right um but anyway greed and greed can take a lot of uh i think it was andy right who brought up the idea that the connection between compare the life of comparing yourself with others and greed right or was that envy but greed is there also Thoughts on greed, you know, maybe your own experiences with it, or or, or, or you know, anything about greed, Gurudas Prabhu? Hare Krishna. My obeisances to all the devotees. Um, so when we talk about lolyam, spiritual greed, mm -hmm. is there a uh, association point in other words, when when we see that the spiritual master is satisfied, we become satisfied. So does that greed, spiritual greed, then abate, or does it continue in another um, aspect or level? Well, okay, that's a great question. Great question. Um, one time, Prabhupada was in uh, the hotel in Manila in the Philippines. And he was twiddling, you know, one of those um, um, toothpicks uh, with a little umbrella on the top of it. So he's twiddling it with his thumb and it broke. And he kind of laughed, you know, like, not laugh, but kind of like chuck, you know, like this and kind of like just see the nature of the material world. And then he turned to one of his disciples. He was just with one or two disciples. And he said, uh, my desire is that the entire universe become Krishna conscious. So, so it would be hard with a statement like that for a disciple of Prabhupada to be satisfied, you know, even if they build a new temple in Washington, D.C. or something like that. You know, it's not exactly all the uh, fulfilling all of Prabhupada's desires. Um, and then Prabhupada would like to point out the last verse of the uh, Sad Goswami Astakam, the, the eight verses that glorify the six Goswamis of Vrindavan. And it you know goes hey Rod hey Brother Devi K H Lalite hey Nandasuna, um, and he said he would like to say that the six Goswamis didn't say oh now I have Krishna, but actually they were always searching for Krishna, and so and he would say that that the the mood of separation being the highest spiritual mood. Um, one is always in the mood of hankering, but this is on this level. 
on our level, it's it's um, there's nothing wrong with sometimes feeling some real sense of satisfaction in pleasing Krishna, pleasing the spiritual master, um, understanding something philosophically, you know, to uh, to appreciate that. Tushti pushti sudapaya, that the, the 11th canto verse says that tushti or satisfaction is a byproduct of bhakti. So being a book distributor, when you had reached your quota or reached your goal in a marathon, then you had you know, satisfied your spiritual master in that way. Um, but then the next day you would be so greedy to go out and distribute more books. Well, um, yeah, or you keep on going that day, even if you reached, you know, what you thought would be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was tricky. <laughs> so I was once in um, doing Sangerton in Taiwan. And we could only um, carry with us as many books as we, we, we would walk with one of those, like almost like a trolley, you know, like a... These were, these were the days before, you know, there were days that maybe uh, Henry would remember this and maybe uh, Andy. There were times, there were decades bef um, where there were no wheels on uh, suitcases. Remember that? Henry, you must remember that, <laughs> right? You know, you actually had to carry them, right? So we had created this thing. So you couldn't like, you know, do that. Anyway, my point being is when we, when we left the temple, we could only carry so many books with us, right? And, and to come back to the temple in Taiwan, it was far from where we were distributing. So I would be very selective of who I would give a book to. And so I'd try to make them last the whole day. <laughs> like that, I just remember. Um, yeah. But can, I, can I ask a question that's a little bit off topic? Um, I feel like there was that period of time in the 70s, you know, and, and of course, I, this is from watching movies and media of that's slightly before my time, but there was clearly a time, I think, when, when Hare Krishnas were kind of uh, uh, mocked in, in media. For instance, you know, the scenes in Airplane where they kind of make fun of the guys. How, how did that, how did you guys di digest that? Um, or how did it just what what reaction did it elicit? It was uh, for me personally, it was challenging. You know, um, one reason it affected my mother a lot and her okay. um, not being happy with me taking the Krishna consciousness. It also, I think, created in in the society of Krishna devotees a kind of us and them. Um, much, you know, very different than like, you know, Anutama Prabhu today who will, um, he's, he actually speaks at anti-cult uh, conferences. <laughs> you know, and he would be used to, in the seventies, he would be hunted down at them <laughs> instead of speaking at one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it made us a little insular, I think at times. Um, but the fun, you know, making fun, that's, that's, that was kind of fun. You know, uh, there's a real funny one in, uh, in The Simpsons. It, it's, it's, it's a twist on it, right? 
where um, the, you know the if you ever seen the symptoms, there's the guy who owns the convenience store who's Indian, right? Yeah. And so he goes to India. I'm not sure if he goes with Bart or somebody else. You know, not Bart, but uh, Mr. Simpson. Uh, and so they get into like the, whatever it was, the Delhi airport, and there's a Christian trying to sell them a book. <laughs> Now that, right because usually it's the Hari Krishna trying to sell yeah it. yeah yeah <laughs> and I you know I don't I can't remember what they say but it was something like you know go get a job or something like it was it was really funny it was really cute the way the way but that, uh, really I'd did. say it's it's had a lasting impact I mean I I can see the reaction of um, you know of, of of Americans if somehow the topic comes up and. Um, it's almost like I try to avoid those those terms, Hare Krishna, because I know that the initial reaction is going to be what they've seen from sound bites and, and movies and stuff like that. That it's a bunch of, I mean, I don't need to, yeah, say the words. You know, it's it's um, well, well, kind of unfortunate, I guess, but I guess not the sorry, not not unexpected considering where we are in time. My experience is a little different. My experience is with older people, I sometimes get that reaction, not with younger people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I, but these days I just take it as a great opportunity. I had a, uh, so when I first got into conflict resolution, I, had this, uh, I was introduced to this elderly Jewish man uh, who was one of the top, you know, who teaches at Harvard and, um, and he, and, I was, I was said, well, you know, will you become my mentor and um, help guide me in creating this conflict system for, for the Hare Krishna organization? And he said, well, I just have to ask you one question. Are you a cult? <laughs> and then we had this great conversation, right? And I introduced him to people that he was obviously impressed with, devotees, you know, like Shesha Prabhu and uh, um, people of that caliber. He ended up coming to Mayapur twice but it was great, you know, because he, he, you know, he, he would bring up the jokes sometimes, you know, as we were working together. He said, well, well, um, so what are you going to do the rest of the day? You're going to go to the airport? <laughs> <laughs> and we would have a laugh. But um, yeah, well, you know, media is strong. So it's, it's like that. But young people, most of them just don't know that much about it, you know, yeah. um, about Krishna consciousness. But I kind of take it as a positive thing. I get an opportunity to, to talk about it. Now, you know, you could say that things changed a lot. Um, now we're, we're having a sociological discussion right now, right? But things changed a lot, like, you know, with people like your wife, people who are, you know, people, or here we have uh, uh, Shakshi Gopal Prabhu and, and Shushil, uh, people from India taking Krishna consciousness seriously. And then people think, oh, this isn't some far out hippie Western, you know, Rajneesh thing. These are people, you know, people from, you know, the country of its origin taking it seriously and becoming leaders. And that, mm -hmm. had, that had major um, sociological. Thank so, you. Thank you, Shushil and Chakshi Gopal. Udas, you have your hand up? Yeah. Um, what uh, Dean was talking about, Dean, uh, um, yeah. I, was thinking, yeah. I was thinking, you know, Prabhupada, whenever he saw the name Hare Krishna in the news, it doesn't matter what kind of story it was, he was always favorable because he knew 
being world acharya, he knew that, uh, you know, just this sound vibration getting out in the material world had, you know, gangbuster effects, no matter what kind of story it was, you know, devotees would, <laughs> devotees would really, you know, look down on this or that reporter's story and you bring it to Prabhupada, he'd say, this is good, you know. Well, he would say it's good because Krishna's name, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, there, and there's, yeah, thank you, Gurudas, because you're bringing up another side. First of all, in the 70s, we had Prabhupada with us, at least until 77. And so that was like super exciting, super amazing, super wonderful, uh, new and fresh. And there was a great mood of camaraderie with amongst the devotees. There was um, a great mood of um, entrepreneurship and expansion and enthusiasm um so that you know you know that um, you asked me a specific question so i gave my honest answer that i sometimes struggled with it but i also loved those days um and and so many people took to krishna consciousness uh seriously so oh, yeah was, i definitely imagine that those were yeah probably the good old days for some people, or, sure. you know, looked on nostalgically. And the interesting thing is that these are the good old days, just 20 years. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've imagined a time in the future when we're in the uh, slick new temple, for those of us who have been around long enough, we'll talk about the good old days back when we had our, our little kind of, um, you know, the four walls that we walk into uh, these days. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, uh, and, and there was good old days for Prabhupada also in the early, early days of ISKCON when it was, he was very much like your uh, traditional guru, just dealing very personally with uh, his disciples and, and, you know, thanking them for the smallest thing that they did. And then, you know, he would sometimes when he would meet one of the devotees from those days, you know, late eight, six, you know, eight years later in 1976, and he would sometimes reminisce about the <clears throat> old days. But yes, yeah, so the, the interesting thing is like, uh, you know, um, I'm just looking here like, um, uh, well, someone like your age or even younger, you know, these will be the good old days one day, as you're saying, yeah. Uh, wasn't it, um, it wasn't Linda Ronstadt who was the one who saying these are the good old days. Uh, the, the woman from uh, Nantucket. And, Carly Simon. Yeah, Carly. Yeah, right. These are the good old days. So that was, that's a, I thought that was a pretty smart uh, lyric. Because mm -hmm. these are the good old days for, you know, some people. Oh, Prabhuji, yesterday I uh, read the history of our Radhanath Shamiji's uh, life history, how he came as a Krishna consciousness and under mm -hmm. um, Prabhupada shelter. And the Prabhupada was seven days in uh, India in some Hare Krishna association in uh, his uh, meeting and all the devotees, and he was attend there, you know. So whoever ever tried to be in, uh, in full mind to come in Krishna consciousness, he'll become. Yes. There is no, there is no <clears throat> program with 10,000 people. And there was this long haired Western sadhu way in the back. And Prabhupada turns to bring that 
Bring that boy. <laughs> yeah. Some obstacle make us very nervous. Like as a few days before uh, our, uh, I'm working in Nokia, they make a very big cake, very big cake with the 5G because I'm working 5G. So the my director cut the cake and he gave my plate. And I know the cake is made by egg. I do not eat. I was taking it in my hand and behind. My colleagues are very curious. They want to eat me, die, you know. So they pressure me what I do because I do not eat. After then, my director knows that this history will be, because they are all together. He told no egg, no anything, no gelatin you can eat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> situations yeah. sometimes make very nervous. <laughs> yeah, but that's nice. Like I know I, when I was traveling once with my, um, my brother and sister-in-law, and when they found out, they would start reading the ingredients on packages. Oh, no, you can't have this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's do a couple more verses and then we'll call it a day. Um, so now, uh, 22 to 29, talk about overcoming obstacles, um, the, the obstacles, overcoming the obstacles to, you know, self being satisfied and making spiritual advancements. So uh, overcoming obstacles is 22 to 24 in particular. Uh, by making plans with determination, one should give up lusty desires for sense gratification. Similarly, by giving up envy, one should conquer anger. By discussing the disadvantages of accumulating wealth, one should give up greed. And by discussing the truth, one should give up fear. Very beautiful, huh? By discussing spiritual knowledge, one can conquer lamentation and illusion. By serving a great devotee, one could become prideless. By keeping silent, one can avoid obstacles on the path of mystic yoga. And simply by stopping sense gratification, one can con conquer envy. And 24, by good behavior and freedom from envy, one should counteract sufferings due to other living entities. By meditation and trance, one should counteract sufferings due to providence. By practicing hatha yoga, pranayama, pranayama, uh, and so forth, one should counteract sufferings due to the body and mind. Similarly, by developing the mode of goodness, especially in regard to eating, one should conquer sleep. Wow, there's a lot there, huh? Whew. Almost uh, too much. What's, where to begin in five more minutes? We may have to continue this um, tomorrow. I'm just looking at my notes here. Um, so where to start? Well, we'll read a little bit from purport to 22. Srila um, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur has suggested how one can conquer lusty desires for sense gratification. One cannot give up thinking, one cannot give up thinking of women for thinking in this way is natural. Even while walking on the street, one will see so many women. However, if one is determined not to live with a woman, even, of course, this is for brahmachari, uh, even while seeing a woman, he will not become lusty. If one is determined not to have sex, he can automatically conquer lusty desires. The example given in this regard is that even if one is hungry, if on a particular day he is determined to observe fasting, he can naturally conquer the disturbances of hunger and thirst. If one is determined not to be envious of anyone, he can naturally conquer anger. Similarly, one can give up the desire to accumulate wealth simply by considering how difficult uh, it is to protect the money in one's possessions. If one keeps a large amount of cash with him, he is always anxious about keeping it properly. Thus, if one discusses the, the disadvantages of acquiring wealth, 
it can naturally give up business without difficulty. So um, it's true, you know, if, if, uh, if, you know, let's say it's a codice, you know, we don't eat grains and beans and someone brings you, you know, this fantastic eggless cake <laughs> and, you, and you can immediately say, no, no, today's a codice, thank you. If you have that plan ahead of time, right? Um, one can, that determination, then it's much easier to follow our values. But if we just like, whatever happens, then uh, we can easily be attracted to those same things because we don't have like a, that fixed mind. And that's why reading the scriptures, reading the Shastra regularly is so helpful because it, it sharpens the intelligence and gives us impetus to focus on the right things and avoid the wrong thing. Um, so we just have two minutes. Any last points? The only person we haven't heard from today is Nandi Muki. I don't know if she wants to say anything. But um, any last words of wisdom from anyone? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. These words of wisdom are not from me. I don't have any wisdom, but Srimad Bhagavatam and Chanaka Pandit both uh, state that one should see every woman other than one's wife as mother. Right. And that, okay. that's, that's uh, considered wisdom. Yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, as a quote unquote former Brahmacharya, you would agree that that's a principle to live by. Yes. On those words of wisdom, we will call it a session, and we will pick up with on these verses. Um, it's a it's a long chapter, I, so I don't want to uh, give us hope that we're going to finish Canto Seven. I would I would think we'll probably take two more sessions to finish Canto Seven. Um, and so, looking at the calendar. Next week is the 19th, right? And then we can decide if we, on the 19th, we can decide if we should have class on, um, what do they call it in other parts of the world? Christmas. Day? <laughs> the day after uh, Christmas. Yeah. Okay, so thank you for Hare Krishna.